Today on CityCast Chicago, Mayor Lori Lightfoot has tapped Bally's to be the first and only casino in Chicago. The brand has been associated with everything from amusement parks to gyms since it began nearly 100 years ago. But actually, the Bally's name was born here in Chicago as an original titan in the world of, you guessed it, gaming and gambling. It's Wednesday, May 11th. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is CityCast Chicago. Tommy Henry is the host of the Chicago History Podcast. Tommy, welcome to CityCast Chicago. Thank you for having me. When did the Bally brand come into existence, and what was the company's first product? It was part of a company called Lion Manufacturing, and a guy named Raymond Maloney decided to uh, create a, a game that he called the Ballyhoo. If somebody says Ballyhoo now, I'd be like, this is not Back to the Future. No, 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 but I, I think we should bring it back. I think that could be a pretty cool uh, thing. So very basic. It was basically a board with a number of pegs kind of in circles. There were uh, bells and, and spinners and divots. Players got seven balls for a penny. You'd uh, launch the ball on the side uh, using a game stick. And then uh, as the ball made it through the pegs, it would land at the bottom, and there were different slots with uh, different bonus amounts. Uh, so kind of cool. No paddles. Okay. So at the time, Ballyhoo comes out in 1932. It's, there's kind of a lot of competition in Chicago for coin-operated games like pinball. We could probably do a whole episode about the city's pinball history. But how important was Chicago to this early gaming industry, and what's driving this consumer market? So we're going through the Depression, and people needed very inexpensive uh, entertainment. So again, seven balls for a penny, that's a pretty cheap bit of entertainment. The games themselves sold for about $16.50. It's about 350 bucks in today's money. Maloney and Bally, the Bally division of Lion Entertainment, uh, eventually produced 50,000 of these. Uh, by 1937, Maloney was the president of the company. He's making about $400,000. Oh, in just five, five years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he, I mean, he was, he was the guy. He is so closely connected to popularizing the game. Uh, he was known as Mr. Coin Machine Industry, which mm. has got to look cool on a business card. <laughs> yeah, they were doing it all on Erie off of uh, Franklin. So, you know, like 308 West, I think was the address that I found for it. So, yeah, it kind of all happened here. So is it safe to say Ballyhoo was like the PS5 Nintendo Switch of its time? Yes, yes. Okay. It was the Xbox Series X and, and everything. It was the game to have um, anywhere. If you could afford it in your house, great. If not, they were at bars and at restaurants, and, you know, they were, they were all over the place. It wasn't just pinball-style games. Bally was also famous for its slot machines. Are, are these slot machines similar to what we would see today, you know, maybe at like an a airport or a Vegas casino? You know, you pull in, I lost. That's, you know what? I didn't know there would be sound effects uh, today, so I'm, I'm glad that you brought those in. Um, yeah, I mean, they were very basic. Again, a lot of them were small machines that places could put in a you know restaurant or uh, you know in, in gambling towns. You'd put a coin in, you got the three, you know, spinning dials long before the, you know, screens and all the other stuff. Of course, the gambling aspect of all that stuff was heavily scrutinized. And, you know, we're here in Chicago. We've got uh, Al Capone and all that game, uh, gangland stuff. And 
um, there were certainly some issues that arose from that as well. So these slot machines, were they they made in Chicago? Are they primarily being sent to Atlantic City and Vegas? The majority of the, the games were, were sent to places that, that it was allowed. Okay. So, you know, unlike today where you can drive to Lyons and Berwyn, Illinois, and there are stacks of slot machines everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, these were all sent elsewhere. So, so given this idea that on one hand they're making these wildly popular family-oriented games and on the other they're making these slot machines that's being exported to Vegas and Atlantic City what's the overall perception of Bally products at the time is it is it wholesome games or is it like y'all secretly connected to the mob ain't y'all it, it was both I think if if you weren't looking for crime and corruption it just seemed like a cool game and if you were looking for crime and corruption it was you know and it wasn't just slot machines pinball machines were uh, made illegal in big cities uh, starting in the early 1940s New York Chicago Los Angeles because people saw it as a way of getting money out of people you know you're feeding quarters in it becomes an addiction you want to play you want to play you want to play and then all of a sudden people are broke so you weren't necessarily getting money from the machine but if you played and hit a certain score and told the owner of the restaurant at the roadside cafe he would pay out money to you the problem was the mob was often involved with putting the machines into these restaurants and taking a big chunk of that and that's where the uh, the uh, being made illegal kind of comes in. Mm-hmm. Did the did the company and, and its owners ever get into some uh, any real trouble or any illicit activity? You know, as as far as I know and have read, they were able to kind of skirt most of those issues. There were no big headlines like Bally's busted or anything. I mean, honestly, by the nineteen forties. They had kind of stopped making uh, machines altogether. They had switched to making airplane parts and and other munitions uh, to for support the, the for war the defense. Yeah, yeah. The, the war efforts, which I think helped kind of redeem them in a lot of people's eyes. It's like, oh, no, no, they're doing something for the country. So let's fast forward. After World War II, Bally kind of diversifies across the gaming industry. What are some of the Bally's products people might recognize during during those years? By the end of the 60s, it, it was basically a lot of slot machines and, and pinball machines um, throughout most of the 1960s. They bought uh, Midway Manufacturing, also based here in Chicago. And Midway was then responsible for their pinball um, division, which uh, was made legal again around 1976. And so that's when you have the glass tabletop. You have the standalone machines. You have all the pinball mania. They had the licenses for Pac-Man, Ms. Pac-Man, Space Invaders, and a ton of other uh, games. So, again, Bally's continues moving forward this juggernaut of entertainment, all based here in Chicago. But they also have the first casino in New Jersey in the 70s. So they have like actively gone from just, you know, exporting slot machines to casinos to opening their own. How does this turn in the 70s impact the business? Hotels in Las Vegas and Atlantic City, obviously, if you're creating the machines and then you're putting them into your own hotel and reaping all of the benefits, that's where huge money comes in. So moving beyond just making machines and shipping them and selling them, 
Um, Bally's uh, bought Six Flags Amusement Parks in 1983, which lasted a couple of years. Um, and then, you know, again, diversification. They decided to get into health chains and fitness machine manufacturing. Do you remember those Bally's Total Fitness commercials? Oh, my gosh. Summer's just about here, so get fit and enjoy the best summer of your life. There's still time They looked like, look what's that show when... Uh, people would go up against those like gla American Gladiator. Is that the name of yeah. the show? Like it sure. just looked like an American Gladiator set. Just a bunch of yeah. people on a well-lit stage just, just going ham. The summer of your life's almost here and we can help you look your best. Get started now for just $5. So to have a fitness machine manufacturing and, and all these health chains, I mean, money hand over fist, right? We're talking about everything from, again, Six Flags, recognizable brand, uh, Bally's Total Fitness, Pac-Man, uh, Pinball, Mr. Coin-Op. How does a company this big go from, you know, conglomerate to almost, you know, I won't say obscurity, but just kind of like falls out of the zeitgeist? Well, I think with, with any company, if you uh, expand too quickly and get involved in too many things that don't all necessarily pull their own weight, it's going to start to drag you down. So mid-90s, uh, Paris, Las Vegas uh, was one of their own casinos, and they're kind of making inroads, and they're not focused on other divisions, and other divisions are kind of slowing down. Somebody like uh, the Hilton Hotel chain comes along and, and decides to buy up their hotels. And the health clubs, which continued, um, I think at one point they had – over 300, it was like 325 health clubs in the U.S. and Canada. I was trying to find like how many were in the city of Chicago. I think there were 10 in the city itself. And then in the suburbs, I felt like everywhere I drove past had a Bally's health club. But you get a little bit big and you have a couple of uh, problems and it can all unravel very quickly. Uh, what are some of those problems? I, can you speak to that? Bally's fitness clubs in the uh, mid-2000s, they had some issues with people being talked into like three-year contracts that they then couldn't get out of. And they had super high interest rates. And they, so they were locked into these fitness contracts they could not get out of. And there were class action lawsuits about it, which is why you see so many fitness places today that have, you know, a penny down, $10 a month, no contract. Like you get in, you like it for a month, great. If you decide to get out, you can walk away because there are so many people of a certain generation that had horrible experiences with companies like Bally's. I am both sometimes surprised and then sometimes like, of course, when I find out that Chicago is like the home or has these great roots or something like, when I found out it was with candy, I was like, damn, that's pretty cool, right? Uh, when, when you look at our history in terms of um, architecture, and now it's coin-operated games. Does it ever surprise you th how the roots of some of the coolest things in our country's history seem to find their way back to Chicago? I, I spend a lot of time with my head down in old newspapers and history books and everything else, and I still find new things where I go, wait, what? That was Chicago too? I think any time you can have a company that was responsible for something that 90 years later is still a huge deal. I mean, think about it. Without pinball machines, without uh, gaming in general, we wouldn't have PlayStation. We wouldn't have Xbox. We wouldn't have, you know, Nintendo and Switch and all the rest of that stuff. Um, that all came from here. Without uh, Raymond Maloney and Lion Manufacturing back in 1932 creating the Ballyhoo, who knows uh, what we'd be doing for entertainment. The ownership has 
had changed hands. And now there's a chance that Bally's will have an official casino in Chicago, uh, in River West. Uh, have you been following the casino rollout? And what are your thoughts that of all the the people to get picked, Bally's is the corporation? Again, I think Bally's is a name that people know. And so when you look at the the people behind Bally's now, obviously they have no connection to our early Bally's. It's just a name that's been traded and sold off and traded a, a bajillion times throughout the years. You know, I, I think it's funny that the... Uh, announcement came with there'll be an entertainment center and there'll be all these things and it's not just about gambling. I I hope that some of the promises made, if this comes to fruition, actually uh, happen. Tommy Henry is the host of the Chicago History Podcast. I appreciate you joining us on CityCast. Thanks for having me. There's a community town hall at UIC tomorrow night at 7 about the Bally's Casino proposal. It'll also be live stream, so I'll drop a link for you in the show notes. From what I've been seeing, neighbors have largely come out against the casino. You can check out today's newsletter for a little cheat sheet on the $1.8 billion plan. Before I let you go, a little bit of news, y'all. COVID-19 cases are on the rise again in the city, up 24% from last week to nearly 900 cases a day. The Chicago Department of Public Health is strongly recommending everybody wear a mask indoors and get tested if you feel any symptoms. President Joe Biden will be in town today speaking to the Electricians Union at McCormick Place before heading to Kankakee. And some good news to get you through. The American Writers Festival is this Sunday at the Chicago Cultural Center in the American Writers Museum in the Loop starting at 10 a.m. I'm going to be in the building interviewing Kosako Jackson about his new book, Survive the Dome, Sunday afternoon at 2. As always, I appreciate you for listening. Talk to you tomorrow. Peace. If you're outside a grocery store and you get on one of them like little horsey rides, let me just keep the sound effects going. I, I wish people could see the visual that I'm seeing right now. I'm it's so, very entertaining. I'm so damn glad they cannot. <laughs>